Well, hello and welcome to episode number 404 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, we discuss the China Eastern crash, uh, Flybe announced their new routes, and it's chaos with baggage and BA. And would you believe it? We've started on time, and uh, I'm on my own in the studio this week. How scary is that? But uh, welcome, everyone, to uh, the show this evening. And uh, not joining me tonight, as you could probably see, is Matt Smith, because unfortunately Matt is uh, he's, he's off somewhere sunning himself in Barbados and uh, drinking lots of uh, beers and uh, getting rather drunk. But there you go. That's Matt for you. But don't panic, because joining me back again this week from the fields, the glens, the rivers, across in the sunniest part of the UK... It's Neville Bounds. Absolutely fantastic, beautiful weather here in the UK. And uh, I was up in uh, Scotland this week as well, and it was nice in Edinburgh. And it was absolutely beautiful, just one of those perfect spring days. So, uh, yeah, very, very nice indeed. And uh, very much enjoying uh, enjoying this week. I've been very busy at work again, uh, but um, looking forward to the show and talking about lots of stuff. Have you um, have you been flying around uh, the UK much over yes, the last week? Yes, a uh, bit of Edinburgh um, on Wednesday. Flew up on Wednesday, came back Thursday. Uh, perhaps we'll talk about it later on, but uh, some of the uh, <laughs> some of the ground handling leaves a bit to be desired sometimes. That's all I'm going to say at the moment. And we'll, perhaps we'll discuss it later on. But uh, yes, I was a bit a bit irritated this week but uh, never mind uh, we got there and back in one piece uh, which is the name of the game of course and uh, also joining us this week as uh, a special guest uh, because armando is unfortunately can't join us this evening because he's busy flying somewhere in and around the us of a uh, but we have a super sub joining us this week and uh, he's uh, coming to us all the way uh, from the UK. And uh, he's from the A320 podcast. We've had him on the show before. We managed to drag him back because we offered him a massive big budget fee for coming on tonight's show. Uh, so welcome back. It's Matt from the A320 podcast. Hi, Carlos. Yeah, thanks very much. Great to be back on the air with you. And uh, yeah, thanks for the, the big check. Hopefully it's uh, not a rubber one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not going to bounce. Don't don't panic. It's uh, it's being brought over to you by uh, an Airbus, so it will um, it well, it might might get to you. <laughs> Very good. I know, I know. So, how are things with you, Matt? What's uh, what's been going on? Because the last time we saw you was at the four hundredth. Yeah, um, obviously had a fantastic time at the four hundredth. Really enjoyed that. It was great to see. Uh, lots of familiar faces and also people that uh, I've only ever seen online. So seeing people in person was fantastic. Getting to know and putting uh, real people to all these images and things that we've seen over all the years. So, yeah, fantastic time. And uh, that's been it, really. I've had a couple of weeks off from flying and uh, back to flying next week. So if you, uh, I'll take you, like you said, you're back to flying next week. So... I guess you uh, haven't uh, been doing much flying then. Um, I've been doing a fair amount um, due to uh, some of the sort of restrictions and some of the things that we did to help during COVID. I've gone part time. So uh, I've got a couple more months left and I'll go back to full time in May. So I've been doing two weeks on, two weeks off at the moment. But uh, the two weeks on are pretty busy, actually. We've noticed 
quite an increase in passenger numbers and yeah it seems to be picking up nicely oh excellent we've got uh, just trying to get rid of various things on the uh, zoom computer there we go i think i've solved that issue uh, but we're going to have a chat with you a little bit later on i expect matt but we've got loads of uh, stories to get through on the show this week uh, but uh, nev do you want to uh, say a quick hello to our uh, viewers in the uh, world of youtube I certainly will, yes. Well, thanks for, uh, very much for joining us in the chat room, everybody. And that is uh, Rich About, Rich About Adams, uh, GB's Model Zones, Mazoo's is in there, Dirk S. Um, who else? Myla, uh, Jenny Parkinson. Hello, Jenny. Uh, Logan Lynch is in there. Well, we met up with Logan and his wife, Michelle, this week in Edinburgh. That was fantastic. Great to see those guys there. Uh, Mash is also in the chat room. John Jester, main man Micah, Miles High, and uh, Jonathan Warner, of course. I bet he's looking forward to the military section. Probably about the only person there is. Um, and, um, uh, yes, Richard Adams and, uh, Pilot Pip is in there as well. So great to see everybody in the chat room. Thank you for joining and, uh, looking forward to some, uh, good stories tonight. Better Carlos. Yes. So, uh, I suppose we better uh, think about doing some commercial news. So, uh, if, uh, everyone's ready, um, shall we do some commercial news? Please do. Yes. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. And this week's first news story on the commercial news for this weekend. This is obviously news that broke at the beginning. Of, it was the beginning of the week, Nev, wasn't it? Mm, this uh, yeah, this story came out. Uh, it comes to us from edition.cnn.com, avherald, bbc.com, and flightradar24.com. And it's obviously, we're going to be talking about the China Eastern 737-800 uh, that uh, sadly crashed at the beginning of the week. Uh, so the aircraft itself, registration Bravo 1791, performing flight MU5735 from Kunming to Gangzhou, China, with 123 passengers and three pilots, five flight attendants and one safety officer. Uh, it was en route at uh, 8,900 metres, or flight level 291, around 130 nautical miles west of Gansau, nearing the top of descent at 1420 Lima, or 0620 Zulu, when the aircraft suddenly lost altitude and impacted the ground at around 119 nautical miles west of Gangzhou in mountainous terrain. Uh, the search and rescue operation reached a crash site, but found, unfortunately, as we know, no survivors. Uh, on March 23rd, uh, the China's Civil Aviation Authority, or the CAAC, reported one of the black boxes had been found, subsequently adding that the black box was substantially damaged. Uh, this was later revealed to be the cockpit voice recorder, or the CVR, as we all know it. However, the CVR's memory chip uh, was damaged and subsequently sent to the chip manufacturer for repair, uh, according to recommendations by the manufacturer. Uh, at this time, there are no estimates of when the data will be downloaded. Uh, March the 24th, the CAAC reported that a large piece of debris around 1.3 metres by 0.1 metres from the aircraft was found in farmland uh, at Yatang Squad in Siwang Village, around 14 kilometres west of the crash site and around 2.7 kilometres south of the last ADSB position in cruise flight. 
the main debris at the crash site otherwise is confirmed within 30 metres uh, radius and 20 metres deep into the ground. The data published by Flight Radar 24 suggests the aircraft was an, an, uh, at an altitude of 29,100 feet when it went into a high-speed dive at around 2.20pm, uh, losing altitude at a maximum rate of around 31,000 feet per minute, uh, travelling at 348 miles per hour or 560 kilometers per hour after climbing briefly a second high-speed dive began and the aircraft impacted the ground 30 seconds later uh, mu5735 uh, as we said was operated by boeing 737-800 not a max as was first announced by a few news feeds and uh, it was delivered to China Eastern Air New in June 2015, uh, powered by two CFM 56-7B24 engines. Uh, the captain, Yang Hongda, had been employed as a Boeing 737 pilot since January 2018, with a total of 6,709 flight hours. First officer Zhang Zhengping was amongst China's most experienced commercial pilots uh, with 31,769 hours and a flight instructor for China Eastern as well, having trained more than a 100 captains. He was awarded the honorary title of men, uh, mer meritorious pilot of civil aviation in 2011. Uh, second officer, uh, ob as an observer, was uh, Ni Gontao with a total of 556 hours of flight uh, time and uh, was aboard to fulfill training duties. So, what do we think, guys? I mean, we've seen, um, obviously, we've seen the reports online and obviously, we, I think everyone has seen the uh, CCTV footage. Um, from that camera which i think was someone videoing a camera of a camera videoing something i think it was and i think there was some dash cam footage as well at some point but thoughts nev well it's horrific isn't it absolutely horrific and um awful media reporting in some areas this week i thought from a number of outlets that should really know better um but um this sort of catastrophe uh it's probably only going to be the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder that are going to give us the answers um and um i'm afraid people have got to wait for that um there's very little much more people can say apart from you know the speculation that we, we've seen online and elsewhere but um uh, 77 800 obviously very reliable aircraft mm. uh, a lot of them in service around the world um, and a lot of people have said, you know, that they consider that to be one of the best variants of the 737, in fact. Um, but, um, no, I think we're just going to have to wait, uh, for the uh, outcome for this because it's just, um, anything could have happened, whether it's crew related, aircraft related, mechanically related, could be anything. We just, we just, just don't know. Yeah. When, I, when this, when this broke and I saw that video, um, online, Nev, it, it, immediately for some reason i think it's probably because i watched it a few weeks ago on uh, discovery channel but it reminded me of that um silk air 185 crash that was i think that was in the nine in the late 90s was it yeah mid, mid 90s that yeah. silk air, that was a 737-300 um that uh, went into a nosedive and i, I think the, the report on that was inconclusive as to whether it was mechanical or whether the pilot had actually induced the uh, the dive um to you know to commit suicide 
Yeah, I mean, and thank goodness, you know, we've, we've had uh, flight uh, data recorders and CVRs for, for so many years uh, on aircraft that are required to have them. So, um, and uh, um, uh, what amazes me is that how robust these things are, um, because even with incredible levels of g-force and impact um it's still possible to um, find that these things well whether they're intact with all the data of course is a different story but let, let's see what what happens but i'm sure there'll be some preliminary information reasonably soon i mean there has to be with a, a catastrophic accident of, of this sort yeah i know you fly different equipment obviously matt you fly the airbus um the 320 and the 319 you fly but what, what are your thoughts on this uh, being our kind of resident pilot on the show tonight well you know sort of echoing what nev said it's obviously very tragic there's been some terrible uh media reporting on this as there normally is with any aircraft accident or incident unfortunately um i mean for from a pilot's perspective probably the most shocking the the sh- sort of shocking part is the the rate of descent, you know, 30, was it 31,000 feet per minute mm. for, you know, an emergency descent that we would do in case of, you know, depressurization, even if you in the perfect conditions to get the maximum out, you're probably looking at 10, 10, 11,000 feet per minute or something like that. So to be three times like this, I mean, I haven't worked out what it is, but 31,000 feet per minute vertically is really, you know, they're. I'm amazed the aircraft's even intact going down that that steep. That's sort of the thing that um, stood out to me was just the huge rate of descent. Hmm. I guess we're going to have to uh, wait for the uh, the FDR and the voice recorder to be um, to be analysed. I know that uh, the, the the report that broke today was that they'd found the second box, uh, which was the flight data recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the report uh, said it had been recovered and what, what condition that's in. But at the, at the speed that this aircraft impacted the impacted the ground, especially in that mountainous region, I'm just surprised, you know, that um, I know the flight data recorders are built to withstand quite a hefty um, crash, but um, I think they've done well to withstand this, especially at the speed that aircraft hit the ground. Yeah. And um, the out of the two... Ironically, really, I think it would be more interesting to get the cockpit voice recorder if they only got one or the other, because, you know, flight radar gives us so much data now that we would never have had before. But it'd be really interesting to hear and probably very useful for the investigators to hear what, if any, conversations were going on inside the flight deck. Mm, Yeah. And taking this chip back, I mean, it's pretty amazing what they can do with these computer chips. You You think they've been completely destroyed, but... It's amazing what they can extract from some of these pretty damaged parts. So let's hope that they're able to do something with this one. Well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Perhaps we'll get some more news during the course of the next few days as to uh, what they might find. But as we know, with a lot of these kind of investigations, they do tend to take uh, some time before they um, you know, come out with, a, with an actual conclusion to what actually happened. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, we'll return to that, I expect, next week, I'd imagine. But, uh, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, it's good news for, um, for, the, for lovers of Flybee. 
Very much so. And on it's on BBC.com and on RootsOnline.com. And it says that the Flybee brand will return to the skies next month, serving 16 airports in the UK, France and the Netherlands during the upcoming summer 2022 season. The reborn airline intends to connect 23 city pairs across its network using the Dash 8 400 aircraft, uh, operating up to 530 flights per week. The UK's uh, carrier's maiden route will begin on April the 13th, linking its Belfast city-based and its Birmingham headquarters. Uh, flights will initially be served up to twice daily, increasing up to four times daily later in the year. Five more destinations will be added during uh, April, uh, Amsterdam, East Midlands, Glasgow, Leeds Bradford and London Heathrow, including the airline's entry to the uh, Leeds Bradford to London Heathrow market, which had been left unserved since British Airways suspended flights in March 2020. Uh, Flybee's network will increase further in May and June with the addition of three routes before ramping it up again in July and August as 13 more sectors are launched. And these international destinations will include Avignon, Brest and Toulon. Uh, the old Flybee was the largest operator of domestic flights in the UK during 2019 with a 38.2% uh, share of departures. This put the airline ahead of EasyJet on 19.8 and British Airways on 16.9. In addition, Flybee was the second largest provider of domestic capacity. However, since the airline ceased operations, many of its former routes have been picked up by other carriers, notably Orini uh, Air Services, Blue Islands, Eastern Airways, Logan Air and the newly launched Emerald Airlines. Out of the 23 routes to be operated by the newly formed Flybee, 15 of those routes will have direct competition. Um, if you look on Flybee's website, you'll see a huge list of what they're planning to do. But uh, there's operations uh, from Belfast City to uh, Glasgow and Birmingham, Amsterdam to East Midlands and Birmingham, uh, the, the Leeds Bradford uh, to Belfast City routes and the Heathrow to Belfast City routes. Amongst uh, the other ones, uh, Southampton uh, to Toulon as well, uh, Aberdeen to Birmingham, uh, Belfast City to Inverness and Belfast City to New Newcastle um, amongst many of them. So I think some of those regional routes are going to be very popular. And uh, let's see where we end up with the um, fares as well, because they've got to be pretty competitive, I would imagine, in order to make the thing work. But um, I think that's a, a good route network they've got there. It'll be interesting to see what um, what they make of it. Yeah, with these uh, routes and stuff, uh, never also be interested to see what the price is like. But we did have a little quick look, didn't we, before we um, started the show at how much mm. it would cost to uh, to fly across to Amsterdam in May, didn't we? And that it wasn't that bad, Nev. No, I think depending on what uh, what you're bringing with you, uh, it was varying between sort of ninety three pounds and one hundred and twenty five pounds, something like that, wasn't it? Uh, depending on whether you've got carry on baggage or checked baggage. So let's see how they do. Uh, but uh, no, I think um, they the old Flyby did have the moniker of fly maybe uh, <laughs> because of delays to previous uh, sectors and what have you uh, for all kinds of different reasons well if they can operate a, a prompt service that that works well i think it, we really do need the this sort of regional model back uh, here in the uk and certainly in the near continent as well so uh, let's see how they do with it i'll tell you what the prices that we saw nev were from from obviously from london heathrow and uh, Flybe many years ago did fly from our, our regional airport here at Norwich, Norwich International Airport. Um, it would be nice to have that kind of fare 
to fly from Norwich to Amsterdam rather than the current, yeah. what is it, 400, 500 pounds return flights with KLM, I think, that they did mm. do from Norwich. <clears throat> no, I, I agree. I think it's um, Norwich definitely could do with some more regional operations coming out of there uh, rather than just being used for mm. sort of cargo and maintenance, which it's used for extensively, isn't it, uh, really? So um, let's see what happens, how they get on later on in the year. Um, maybe next year we might see some uh, operations out of airports like Norwich, perhaps. Mm. What do you think, Matt, uh, from you? Obviously, uh, you fly in and around the UK and Europe quite a bit. Well, I think anything like this is always good news, isn't it? Good news for for jobs and for the consumer competition is good, certainly for price rises. And I'm glad to see that Flybe are just concentrating on domestic. I do feel personally that this is perhaps where they went wrong. They had their niche sewn up that they were short flights to places with short runways that nowhere else serviced and competitors couldn't even get into you know some of the channel islands and things they go into you can't get a 737 or an a320 in there so they didn't really have any threat from big competitors and then they decided to go down this road of buying embrayers and flying to alicante and i i felt at the time that it was very dangerous that they expand into a very competitive market with the likes of Ryanair, EasyJet, British Airways, Jet2. It's such a competitive market that I think that may have been where they they could have gone wrong. So it's nice to see that they're going to bring that domestic uh, structure back and hopefully they'll they'll flourish from it. Yeah, uh, Milo in the chat room saying just, uh, yeah, come and visit. So, yeah. But we'll see what the prices are like, Myla. Uh, well, uh, perhaps me and Nev can pop over and see. Nev, Nev will have to slum it, and we'll we'll go flyby Nev uh, just to try it out. We'll do a passenger experience on it, shall we? A trip? How do you find that, Nev? No, Nev's gone. He's gone. Nev's had enough. He's uh, he's left. Um, Miles High is saying Guernsey to Nairobi. That would be a, a heck of a mission, I think. Um, and Neil Lamb also has picked up on yes, always thought fly maybe was just people having a pop and trying to be clever. Uh, they were fine when I flew with them, and great to see them back. So he's he's glad to see them back. That's always good. So uh, Matt, we're going to stay with you for the next story, and uh, and as your uh, resident Airbus pilot, we'll, uh, we'll we'll give you an Airbus story. How's that? Yeah, and we're continuing with some more good news. So this story comes from TravelWeekly.com and GlobalNews.ca. Um, and this is talking about Delta, who on Wednesday took delivery of its first Airbus A321neo, which is Airbus's largest narrow-body jet. Uh, the plane is one of 26 A321neos that Delta expects to receive this year. The carrier plans to put the aircraft into service in May. Delta is configuring its A321neos with 194 seats, two, uh, 20 in first class and 174 in economy, including 42 Comfort Plus seats with extra legroom. The aircraft will debut Delta's newest domestic first-class seat, which offers triple the storage volume of its other domestic first-class products, Delta said. The delivery of our first A321neo helps to usher in the next era of premium domestic service at Delta, said Mahendra Nair, Delta's senior vice president of the fleet and tech ops supply chain. Not only do these aircraft offer the best customer experience in the industry, but these fuel-efficient airplanes further demonstrate our commitment to a more sustainable future. 
Uh, elsewhere this week, Air Canada also announced plans to acquire 26 extra long-range versions of the A321neo aircraft, the A321XLR. And this has a range of approximately 8,700 kilometers and can fly up to 11 hours, meaning it can operate non-stop services across North America. Air Canada have added that they also want the aircraft to operate transatlantic services pending Transport Canada's approval for overseas operations. The A321XLR will begin flight testing and certification later this year and is expected to be introduced to the service with Middle Eastern carriers in 2023. So a good story all round for the industry and a, a very good story for Airbus there with two um, North American customers, which is obviously uh, very good. And they're, you know, they're making so many sales in the US now. They've actually, you know, opened their Airbus plant in Alabama. So, so yeah, all good news there. I know you fly the, the 319 and 320, um, Matt, but um, would you, would you, have you had a go or would you like to, or would you, do you think the airline that you work for um, might uh, possibly get some 321s at some point? We have 321s already. Oh, okay. um, not where I'm based. Uh, I'm not checked out on it myself. But, uh, yeah, we do have them. Yeah, we've got A321neos, actually, same oh. as the ones Delta have ordered. So, yes. Is that much of a, a conver- you know, conversion for if you um, had the ch- you know, if you got the chance to go to, to you know, fly the, the 321? Is that, is that much of a, 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 com- a change, you know? No, it's a common type rating. No, it's a common type rating. So Airbus and the authorities don't require any extra training, uh, but the airline I work for does. So uh, they've just gone and added that extra layer of training on there. Um, and we basically have to do some flying with a trainer in the in the other seat. So as a captain, they operate as a first officer and two have done the uh, however many sectors they require. So, yeah, but I mean, these these neo aircraft are, are just fantastic for the fuel efficiency. You know, at the the four hundredth, we were talking about that um, the shark skin coating they were putting on aircraft that were saving about one and a half percent fuel efficiency. I think they said. You know, this aircraft came along, and I mean, airlines will spend millions of pounds to save one percent. The neos come along, and it's over 20% more efficient than the the CEO version. So it's just almost an unbelievable amount of efficiency from these Leap engines, which is the uh, pretty much the same engines that's on the Max as well. They have the Leap 1B uh, and the Airbus has the Leap 1A. So, yeah, really, really impressive stuff. And that's why a lot of these airlines are, are going for these newer aircraft. And that's why the XLR can do such long flights. I'm guessing you as a, as a pilot who, you know, you fly the, the uh, 320 and the 320 Neo, I'm guessing you as a pilot notice the the savings on fuel on when you're flying the, between the two, because I know you fly the two different aircraft, the, the Neo and the um, the CEO. So you, you do notice a difference yourself when you're Absolutely. flying? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously we notice a difference in our flight plans of how much fuel that we need for the flight, but also during the cruise, you know, you sit there and you'll see see significantly lower fuel flows on the engines as well. So yeah, it really does make a huge difference. And I and I believe uh, the airlines that have bought them have been pleasantly surprised that it even exceeded their expectations, which is unusual in the aircraft manufacturing world. They often famously uh, overpromise and underdeliver, but for once, this one's actually uh, overdelivered, which is always good to hear. Yeah. 
Yeah, good good sale. John just said in our ear, good sales pitch for <laughs> Am I allowed to be slightly negative? Oh, go on, Nev. Go on. Be negative. Uh, my my chums at BA have uh, some 321 Neos, fine aircraft, absolutely love it. Uh, and they're running them on the shuttle networks at the moment, as well as some others. So the London to Edinburgh sectors um, does very well. And I think there was 205 passengers on my one. Um, I think it's come a bit of a shock to the ground handling crew that it might take a bit longer to board an A321neo than some of the smaller aircraft that BA operate. Um, and uh, it does take a long time to board. Um, and of course, the turnaround times are just the same as they would be, I assume, for an A319, uh, sorry, 319 or a 320. So uh, they might have to just factor that in uh, because there was certainly a lot of people getting on our, our aircraft on Wednesday that uh, either hadn't flown before or had forgotten how to get on board an aircraft. Um, so it was. Uh, it took a long while. It took about um, 40 minutes to board, which is wow. a lot, really? I, I think. Um, and, of course, if, if you're jamming that into the, the normal schedule, um, it won't be very many sectors before you have this sort of horrific knock-on effect. Um, and if you're getting on a service later in the day, it's, it's likely to be quite late, I would say. But anyway... Uh, that's that's <laughs> it's a, i mean it is a significantly bigger aircraft if you yeah. compare uh, a high density single class 319 i think airbus can put them out at about 156 seats and i think if you go to the maximum for the 321 neo i believe it's 225 or 230 so it's a significantly larger aircraft Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it at all. But that, all I'm saying is they might have to just shift yes. the um, <laughs> the turnaround times a little bit to uh, to accommodate that. But uh, nonetheless, you know, great aircraft, and I, I love flying it every time I've got the opportunity. Yes, and I believe uh, British Airways have got the Pratt and Whitney uh, Neo. They don't have the leap engines, I believe. No, and honestly, um, I would imagine all the takeoffs they do are at um, are flex, you know, reduced thrust takeoffs. But gosh, they're so quiet. Um, you know, when, when the thing's taking off, um, and when, uh, it's reduced to climb thrust, um, honestly, they, it is just, it's such a nice place to be. It really is. And, uh, no, very, very impressed indeed. So moving on to the next story and, um, didn't really want to move on to this next story, but we uh, we are going to. Um, this is on the SuffolkLive.com, uh, BBC.com and ITV.com. And uh, sad news yesterday um, afternoon um, over at Beckles up at uh, Ella, where I uh, done most of my flight training. And uh, sadly, yesterday afternoon, uh, a man sa- uh, sadly died following a light aircraft crash uh, at the field. Emergency services were called to Beckles Airfield yesterday at 2 p.m., uh, Thursday, March 24th, after reports of a light aircraft crashing uh, when attempting to land. Uh, yesterday evening, police confirmed that uh, man, a sole occupant of the aircraft, died as a result of the crash. Yesterday's incident saw a huge emergency response as well descend on the airfield, including the East Anglian Air Ambulance, um, seven fire appliances, including one from as far away as Woodbridge, uh, that rushed to the scene, and some remained there late into the evening. Um, 
Police said the area of the airfield had been cordoned off while officers are dealing with the incident and the Air Accident Investigation Branch uh, has also been informed. The man's next of kin uh, has also been informed and after trying to land, according to witnesses, the aircraft then came to a halt in the field of oilseed rape adjacent to the runway. Uh, the air ambulance landing a few yards west of the crash site um, was also uh, caught in some pictures actually taken from uh, the um, press. Uh, so far, no details have been released regarding the type of aircraft involved in this incident. Um, obviously, I have a few ties with the airfield itself and still do very much so. Um, speaking to a few members uh, last night on the phone, um, not too much information really other than what uh, we've already discussed on the show. The AIIB, um, as far as I know, were, were due to, to be there today, um, early this morning. I think they arrived this morning to start the investigation, um, from what I've heard. And it's, it's just very sad news. It's, it's affected the community quite a lot. And um, there's a lot of pilots who, um, who uh, fly into Beckles regularly, including people who uh, visit from other airfields close by, such as Seething, which is just a, a, a few miles away. And um, it's, it's a quite a, you know, a, um, a, a tight knit community, just as our community is here on the podcast. So people tend to know uh, everyone that's going in and out of the airfield. Um, so sad news indeed. Um, it's, um, it's a it's a great airfield, uh, Beckles. You know they've, they've made they've made a lot of investments in the airfield over the last year, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. I was just going to say, Carlos, it's um, uh, you know a lot of the people up there, don't you? And uh, it is very much a close knit community. Um, uh, it must have come as a great shock to everybody when they heard what had happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of the news. It just seems to be every time we cover a, a news on a crash, there's there's some media fail, and it was one of our largest um, local media uh, outlets that uh, reported uh, the picture of the crashed aircraft. And they actually show on their report a picture of the air, um, the air, the Anglia air ambulance um, helicopter um, in the rapeseed field, which obviously had nothing to do with the actual oh, crash geez. itself. <laughs> But hey ho, um, we're obviously I'm, I'm still in contact with the uh, with the folks there, and um, you know, in, it'll just be interesting to see what their findings are. I know that the, the aircraft I think was um, was coming in. I think it was on zero nine the runway they were using yesterday, if I remember rightly, with the wind. And zero nine, I think you've been up to the airfield yourself, never a few times, but at the, at the um, at the threshold just before zero nine, before you get to the actual runway surface, there's quite a large solar panel um, farm, literally uh, uh, below where you come in over the threshold of zero nine to land. And I always remember uh, when I was doing my training there, you, you do get quite a, um, like a thermal kind of updraft when you, when you approach and you fly in over those solar panels. So, you know, um, whether it was to do with that, I just I don't know. The, um, it's a speculation from on my part. But uh, what do you think, Matt? Did you did you see this story at all? Yeah, as always, these things are really sad, aren't they? And obviously, no one sets out on their day to to end up in this situation. Again, going back to how all media covers things terribly is a picture of a white aircraft in a rapeseed oil field, and it says the yellow aircraft was was seen 
crashed in the field you know even just simple things like that they can't even get the color of the airplane right so mm. how can we you know trust anything that they say but yeah it's unfortunately it's very sad and you know they say eyewitness report says that it uh, was coming into land and bounced a couple of times so was it landing short did you say or was it had it overshot no <sighs> There's, there's a lot of different conflicting reports, but someone said it it, it it attempted a couple of landings, and it was on the second attempt that, the, um, that right. this happened. So, um, but it was the weather yesterday was actually very clear. The skies were very clear. Um, it was obviously sunny. There was a very minimal breeze. Uh, there wasn't wasn't very windy at all. So it was a uh, you know the weather weather wise it was um, it was nice and clear. Yeah, just just very sad, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next story. And uh, Nev, uh, this one is all the way BA. Yes. Uh, and, um, well, there's been a bit of difficulty, shall we say, at uh, Heathrow with the old baggage business. And uh, this is coming from turningleftforless.com and independent.co.uk. It says that thousands of passengers have been hit by another British Airways operations glitch at London Heathrow with bags not being delivered and many flights stuck on the tarmac waiting to disembark. The airline told those waiting to collect luggage on Saturday that no more bags would be delivered for the rest of the day. Uh, hundreds of passengers were left waiting in the baggage hall at the airport terminal for hours before being told to go home without their luggage. At least 25 flights were affected, with many more also hit by delays caused by an apparent shortage of ground crew. Uh, the airline said in the statement, we've apologised to customers whose bags have been delayed uh, due to operational constraints. Uh, we know how frustrating this is and our teams are working incredibly hard to return luggage as soon as possible. Uh, Low Partridge Smith, who arrived from Jersey, spent more than two hours awaiting bags before being told to go home. Uh, she says, uh, took off late, landed late, waited on the tarmac for ages as no gate was available. Pilot was baffled and apologetic, uh, finally got a gate and then no one to operate the jetway. So we waited again, uh, she said in a tweet. Uh, our good friend from Turning Left for Less, Michelle, uh, she uh, also arrived in Heathrow on the affected date and said, I was shocked as I entered the baggage hall. At this point, it was around about 9pm, 20 minutes after we'd landed. Uh, there were people everywhere. I can honestly say that I've never seen so many people in the baggage hall. People were sitting on the floor. Lots more were gathered around the screen, still waiting for a belt. Uh, there was zero information from British Airways or Heathrow. There was a lot of anger at BA in the halls and rumours of a baggage handler strike, uh, which does seem unlikely at short notice. Finally, after waiting for another 30 minutes, an announcement came on saying that they would be shortly going through all of the flights that would not be receiving their luggage today. 25 flights were read out. Mine was one of them. No apology or explanation was given. Uh, we were basically told to leave the terminal and file a claim online. Now, um... Could have been a whole load of different reasons, but I think that uh, there is a possibility that there could have been some staff shortage due to people being off with COVID. Uh, maybe some mechanical stuff, maybe some logistic stuff. But um, of course, the knock on effect of this kind of thing is massive. Um, and especially if you've been on a long haul sector as well. And all you want to do is get your bag and, and go home, isn't it? So, um 
I feel particularly sorry for those people that quite often uh, are being asked to check in their luggage at the gate. Um, and so they can be pre-boarded. I never do that because of this sort of thing that might happen at the other end. So, um, but yeah, it's one of those things and it does seem to happen a bit more regularly than one would like, shall we say. So I, I think that um, someone's got to do a bit of thinking there because um, they can't afford to have this sort of thing going on all the time. It's just, uh, it's just very, 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 um, very unfortunate, isn't it? Shall we say? Yeah, Richard Adams uh, in the chat room is uh, saying, "Here we go." He's saying, "Can see the displays now in the uh, on the in the baggage area. Unexpected bag in bagging area. <laughs> mm, right. Excellent. Yep. Like yep. that. Do they under do our?" Uh, Listeners across the pond understand where this is coming from. Do they have irritating self-checkouts in the US? Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they do. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, it? Generally, I mean, of course, there's always delays in aviation, you know, all the time for different reasons. But in general terms, and I know this is obviously a catastrophe for, for the people involved, you know, especially if they've had to wait three or four days for their luggage, which has happened in a few cases. Generally speaking, it all goes fairly well, considering the amount of bags that are being handled by the ground, ground handling staff, by the airline and all the logistics that, that go with all that. Now, people, you know, people do get their bags lost. It's happened to me I think twice probably in 35 years of traveling. But nonetheless, you know, I do concede that that is irritating and a bit unfortunate. But generally speaking, it works better than you think it would work, I would say. I'm not going to lie, Nev. When I, I don't know if I told you guys. when You know when I flew back from um, the States in December with BA and I obviously flew from uh, Charlotte up to Orlando and Orlando back to Heathrow – when I got back to Heathrow, the bags took quite a lot of time to come through on the on the baggage reclaim, and I I, I did just about get to that stage where I was starting to slightly panic and wonder whether they were going to come through. But I put it down to the fact that it was because I had you know um, had a, it, it, it come from a connecting flight, so I'd come on one flight, got off, and then they'd obviously took the bag off, put it onto the next next aircraft. And that's what I put it down to. But it, it's probably the longest wait that I've had personally so far in my years of travelling um, with that with that sort of bag thing. But um, what? Do you How think? long did you have to wait? Did you say? Um, I was there probably about thirty-five, forty minutes, I suppose, oh, waiting for the bag. Did that's a walk in the park. <laughs> Standard, as far as I'm concerned. Anything over an hour, I'm starting to get concerned. <laughs> I've, I honestly, I've never had to wait that long before. Nev, it, it, it's probably, it's probably because all the flights I, I generally tend to take during, during the year, and the two or, three, or a couple of occasions that I go abroad is probably because it's all short haul stuff, and they're they're unloading a, you know, unloading a seven three seven or an A three twenty as opposed to the um, the triple seven that I flew back on. So yes, yeah, I see your point. Um, so. Nev, uh, actually, no, no, sorry, Matt, I should say. Matt, this uh, next story is with you, and it's, oh, we're going really across the pond here to New Zealand. 
We are, yes. So this one comes from uh, our friend The Points Guy and ABC News, and it's New Zealand to New York direct flights announced. So in one of the surest signs that the travel industry is moving past the pandemic, the list of the world's longest flights has a new entry. Air New Zealand said on Tuesday that it plans to launch non-stop flights between New York's JFK Airport and Auckland in New Zealand later this year. The service will begin with a special inaugural departure from JFK on September the 17th, 2022. After that, the airline plans to operate flights in each direction on Mondays, Thursdays and Saturdays year round, starting on September the 19th. The uh, flight NZ1 or NZ1, depending uh, which end of that you are, uh, is New York to Auckland, departing at 9.55 in the evening, arriving at 7.30 a.m. two days later. Um, And then flight NZ2 is Auckland to New York, departs at 7.40 p.m. and arrives uh, 15 minutes later at 7.55 p.m. So 8,828 miles long, according to GC Map, the new route won't quite be the world's longest, but it will certainly be up there. The southbound route blocked at, ready for this, 17 hours, 35 minutes, (laughs) will join other ultra-long haul routes, including Singapore Airlines' non-stop flight from Singapore to JFK, which is 18 hours, 40 minutes at 9,537 miles. Uh, And they also do Newark which is eight hours, 18 hours, 30 minutes. The Perth to London operation flown by Qantas, which is 9,010 miles, is up to 17 hours, 15 minutes. That's, that one's currently on a hiatus, but set to resume in the first half of this year. Qantas is temporarily operating the flight from Darwin instead, which is about 400 miles closer to London. Uh, the northbound flight from Auckland to New York is blocked at just 16 hours. It's quite a short flight on the, on the way uh, over to New York. Air New Zealand will operate the flight with a Boeing 7879 Dreamliner specifically configured with a more premium focus cabin than the rest of the 787 fleet. The Dreamliners will feature 27 live flat business class seats. 33 premium economy recliners and 215 regular economy seats and 13 economy sky couches, a feature that lets passengers book an entire row of three economy seats, which, when coupled with a raisable footrest, creates a couch-like setup. (laughs) The rest of New Zealand's Dreamliners feature 18 business class seats, 21 premium economy, 263 economy and 16 sky couch rows in a press release the airline said that the onboard service would be tailored for the ultra long flight particularly in premium cabins the non-stop service from Auckland to New York has been on Air New Zealand's radar for years in 2019 the airline announced that it would begin flights to New York in October 2020 but obviously was shelved due to the pandemic so Nev, would you like to jump on a on a, a quick hop from New Zealand to yes. New York? Well, I'm not doing it in the cheap seats, uh, that's for sure. Um, I mean, um, it's not going to be great in business, is no, it? No, uh, actually, I think I've got a sort of personal limit of... <laughs> now, what was... <laughs> yeah, Singapore to London was about 13 and a half hours, I think, and also copenhagen to tokyo that i did with sas on a 767 also in economy um i've got a sort of a limit of 12 to 13 hours on a flight um i'm starting to get a bit 
fidgety at 10 hours, you know, very easily. Um, I would always prefer to do a stopover in, you know, uh, I don't know. Anywhere. In, anywhere. You know, <laughs> Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, uh, and break up the journey a little bit. Because it certainly, it, it uh, I was certainly feeling a lot better when I did it that way. But going in uh, a 13-hour slog um, is, I found hard going. But really, I mean, 17, 18-hour flights just phenomenal <laughs> yeah i think the longest i've done is he threw to kuala lumpur and that's 12 and a half 13 yeah. hours i think yeah and that's long yeah yeah my my longest one was mali in the maldives that was the oh yeah flight i done yeah that was 14 um, yeah it's long well, imagine that and then after that you've got a canaries yes um the other thing I was going to say was, I wonder what sort of fuel reserves there are on these ultra long sectors. And obviously the crew must, and the planning departments must pay an awful lot of attention to wind <clears throat> speeds and, and weather, I would imagine, because, um, if anything's slightly out of kilter, it could really affect, uh, whether they have to, uh, set down somewhere, I would imagine. I mean, obviously the, you know, the, the, op- the flight operates entirely legally, I'm sure. No, no question about that. But I would imagine that the, um, fuel reserves are far more critical on, on these sorts of ultra long haul sectors, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they're based on a percentage. So, uh, it's just a calculation. They'll just add a percentage on and, uh, that's what the requirement is. <clears throat> but of course, that will all be factored into, uh, how many passengers they can take and the loads and things. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of extra fuel they're carrying, but like I say, it will have all been factored into their calculations. And obviously with the A350 and, um, you know, the 787-9s, uh, um, with these engines, uh, they, they've got incredible fuel efficiency, haven't they? They have, yes. It does seem to be, though, that the, the Dreamliner tends to be the preferred choice for these ultra longs um i believe they're all pretty much most of them are, are dreamliners that are doing these these mega long long flights yeah I'd, I'd be interested to know what their um adapted in-flight services for such a long flight i mean what can you do to improve the service or something <laughs> so long you, other than just having extra meals because you're passing more meal times I don't know what what else you could do. I was going to say, there's only so many um, films and music and trips to the toilet and wanders yeah. around you can do in the course of of that amount of time. But um, and sleep as well. I suppose you could sleep if you are a really heavy sleeper and you are incredibly tired. Yeah, I suppose you could sleep. Just think about the the crewing of these aircraft as well. You know, flight deck crew and cabin crew. Uh, how many you would need? in a rotation basis to actually operate the sector in the first place. Yeah, I believe that these the airlines that operate these, I mean, people that do long haul will know a lot more than than myself, but they have dispensations and some of the airlines, I believe that when their crew are actually in the crew rest area, the stopwatch stops. So it doesn't count as them being on duty and some crazy things like this. So there's there's all sorts of ways that airlines get round these ultra long duties, um, but yeah, they'll have heavy crew. Certainly won't be just two pilots, that's for sure. No, definitely not. Interesting. Yeah. So we um, 
I haven't had a story like this for uh, at least two or three episodes, Nev, would you say? Maybe three episodes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, yes, this uh, comes to us from independent.co.uk and also twitter.com as well. And uh, we're going back to Jet 2 for this next story. And uh, the headline, aggressive... Jet 2 passenger hit with £5,000 fine and lifetime ban after forcing plane to divert. So Jet 2, this is an awesome story, uh, Jet 2 has hit a disruptive passenger who forced one of its flights to divert with a £5,000 fine and banned her from flying with the airline itself for life. The carrier named the aggressive woman who shouted at crew, slapped fellow passengers on Monday's flight from Manchester to Antalya as Catherine Bush. Not Kate Bush. Uh, Miss Bush from Bradford displayed a catalogue of abusive behaviour and dangerous behaviour on board the aircraft, which included physical uh, physical aggression uh, towards other customers and the crew, read a statement from Jet2 uh, this week. Flight LS895 left Manchester shortly after 9am uh, on Monday Uh, for a planned four-and-a-half-hour flight to Turkey, but it was forced to divert two hours into the flight after the woman became violent, uh, forcing the aircraft to land in Vienna at around 11.38am. A fellow traveller who did not want to be named told Manchester Evening News that the disruptive woman started making a fuss about an hour and 20 minutes into the flight. Uh, A customer said something uh, to her, and she slapped him in the face. A man then got up and tried to calm the situation down before taking her to the back of the aircraft. Jet2's managing director, Phil Ward, said that we have always made it abundantly clear that as a family-friendly airline, we take a zero-tolerance approach to such behaviour and that we will vigorously pursue any costs incurred as a result of an incident. Although such incidents are very rare, it's unacceptable that our customers and crews should have to experience it. They also said that we would like to apologise to anyone who had experienced this behaviour and would like to commend our highly trained crew for their exceptional handling of this difficult situation. Now, I personally think that apart from the ban for a lifetime of Jet 2, personally, I think she got away blooming lightly with five grand. What do you reckon, guys? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. A diversion like that's going to cost, with all the ongoing delay costs that's going to be a minimum of twenty thousand pounds i would have thought for a a uh especially if, if like jets that. who don't have any um you know ground handling you know or reciprocal facilities in in vienna uh, for example yeah absolutely have you ever had um had to to uh, divert like this for a uh, you know an incident at all uh, in your your career matt no i've never had to divert um we've had quite a lot of times you know called the police on arrival or i think once we were taxiing out to the runway and we returned to stand so we hadn't even taken off but i mean generally you think how many flights there are there aren't actually that many incidents that get to this level it's just that we hear about them but generally the cabin crew are very well trained in this sort of thing at de-escalation and most of the time they sense when someone's going to be in trouble and they're often offloaded um before they get on i know that at the airline i work for they have people at the gates on high risk flights 
shall we say um <laughs> and they'll try and stop them even get boarding if they think they're going to be trouble so the airlines do actually invest quite a lot of time and effort into preventing this even getting there because it's so expensive and so disruptive even if they get the money back it still caused huge delays so, a couple of uh, interesting yeah. points uh, alan white says uh, he thinks that a cattle prod should be on the minimum equipment list I like the sound of that <laughs> idea very much um uh, but also having seen the video now several times um this is why i couldn't be cabin crew because i would not have the tolerance that this crew had and honestly how they dealt with it was just exemplary and they did as bad as it was they managed to take a lot of the heat out of the situation and i i absolutely commend them for doing it because it just looked absolutely horrific uh, from, mm. from the, the mm. pictures that I've seen. Like I say, they are trained in de-escalation, so they will use their training to to deal with it differently than we would, probably. But uh, it's interesting in the chat, you know, people have said about, oh, duct tape would have less collateral damage. <laughs> I believe that was you now. Um, but on long haul, they do have to have um, mm. certain things like this, because if you're hours you know if you're bang in the middle of the atlantic you can't just divert and land so you know they do have the ability to restrain people for flights on long haul so you joke but that is actually a a tool at their disposal they don't have handcuffs or anything but they do have the ability and and gaffer are very effective yeah they have tie wraps yeah (laughs) on long haul flights yeah that's what they use I, i i have an idea I think I think this is a brilliant idea for aircraft. Ships obviously have them, or they used to have them many years ago. But don't you think aircraft should have a brig? A what? A brig? What's a brig? A brig! Ah, oh, sorry, it's just not a nautical show, is it? It's an aviation show. Or yes. um, um, let's say a, a hole where this person can be put into. Yeah, the sh- Ship Talking UK podcast, exactly. <laughs> thank you, John. Was that Ship with a P? Mm. Yes, Ship with okay, a P, yeah. yes. Thank okay. you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the chat room kicks off all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. yeah, a brig, you know, uh, 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 what what you'd call classes like a cell that you could, like, put this person in and oh, uh, okay. kind of forget about them until... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that economy class? <laughs> 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 yeah, Mazu says that. Yes, too right. But you know, the whole—I really thought we'd finished all this business. But uh, even on my flight back from Edinburgh, there was the potential of a disruptive. <laughs> even on your flight, Nev. I know. Even uh, on your flight and flying business class as well. Unbelievable. Uh, and the CSD uh, went into flight deck. <laughs> this is before we'd actually pushed back just about to close up and the captain came out and uh had a had a word with this gentleman um and uh, he he was very compliant after that but um of course this is the thing isn't it matt you you guys are trained it, well you absolutely can't leave the flight deck for these sorts of incidents and that's why the cabin crew are so well trained because i guess frankly speaking they can handle it better than you can because they're, they're specifically trained for it Absolutely. I mean, we don't have the same same training as they do. Um, we're told in our airline that we're not to ever deal with anything like this, certainly in the air. Um, and on the ground, obviously, it's a bit different. We can deal with things on the ground. But, you know, unless the cabin crew specifically asked, sometimes you better 
sort of standing back and letting them deal with it because like you say they they are trained in this and they tend to um deal with it pretty well sometimes just sort of standing at the front behind them is enough that they uh they often listen and as you say you know a quiet word from the captain actually has a lot more um effect than than people people realize i'm yeah. gonna go to the chat room in a minute nev because <laughs> honestly it's <laughs> but I, what, I, what I was going to say, what I was going to say was, was that um, you do have uh, you do have an, uh, an option for handling things like this um, from the flight deck without leaving the flight deck, Matt, don't you? I, I don't know where it is on the Airbus, but I know on the Boeing, it's it's above the FO's uh, side on the overhead panel, just to the right hand side, that little control. I don't know if it's uh. the same place on the uh, Airbus, the, the pressurization control. Oh, right, yes. I mean, well, oh, yeah, on the Boeing, you have to control that manually, don't you? Oh, here we go. <laughs> you walked into that. I walked, walked into, into that, that one, didn't I? Oh, anyway. <laughs> so, Richard <laughs> Richard Adams, back to the chat room. Richard yeah. Adams uh, has said, uh, <laughs> what? I think ne- this what? wins comment of the diet. What, so Nev? Far, I think. Threatened him with Spumanti rather than Bollinger? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Standards have to be maintained. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, dear. But I think that the general consensus is that we do need to have Briggs play, um, built on board aircraft. So, there we yeah. go. Yeah. But uh, let's just hope we don't, uh, as we approach the uh, the summer season, let's hope we don't have any more of this because... We, I think that's very wishful thinking now. I'm afraid to be negative. But, yeah. yeah. But it, I think well, it's... Uh, uh, a hazard of the the job, I'm afraid. Plus, as well, don't forget, you know, people have been off off the holiday grid for the last two years or something. Everyone's going to be making a beeline for the nearest airport and flight to um to some European destination. So I think we could be covering stories like this for the rest of the year. Yeah. And you know, not making excuses for these people because obviously it's it's awful. But you often find these people are nervous flyers and they have. A drink to take the edge off it and then they just get really drunk and a lot of these things are often stemmed from things like that so i mean no one or not very many people i would imagine set out in the morning to get thrown off an airplane and cause it to divert so yeah it's unfortunately something that's not going to go away anyway moving on from the uh, brig uh nev you've got the next uh, story all about uh, a runway closure dubai Yes. Um, when I first read this story, I thought, well, that's not a very interesting story, is it? But actually, there's there's quite a lot of detail uh, in here. It's on the OAG.com website. Um, and uh, it says that uh, we're going to take a look at the busiest airports and routes around the world for March of this year. Well, aviation is definitely rebounding positively from the pandemic, but it's clear that some parts of the world are recovering to their pre-pandemic traffic levels faster than others. Some of these airports may surprise you, actually, and these figures are calculated by counting available seats per calendar month, and all this information is from OAG.com. So starting with the busiest global airport in the world, Atlanta and Dubai keep their positions as the top two busiest global airports. However, Delhi moves up six places into third place, now ahead of Guangzhou. Uh, Tokyo Haneda uh, re-enters top 10 busiest global airports list in 10th place, just ahead of London Heathrow, which moves up eight places to take place in the uh, top 
a global top 10 for the first time this year. As a result, Jakarta and Shanghai lose their places in the top 10, leaving Guangzhou as the only airport in China to make it into the top 10. Uh, now, if we look at the uh, busiest international airport in the world, uh, Dublin enters into the top 10 in place of Miami uh, and brings the number of European airports in the top 10 to seven, making up 68% of the seats and leaves New York to be the only US airport to make it into the list. Uh, Dubai retains its position as the busiest international airport this month again, ahead of London and Amsterdam in the top three. Notably, though, only six of the top 10 busiest international airports this month were there in March 2019, before the pandemic. Doha, Madrid, New York and Dublin are now replacing Hong Kong, Singapore, Incheon and Bangkok in March 2022, pushing them out of their top 10 positions of March 2019. The busiest uh, domestic airline route, uh, which is uh, Seoul of, uh, South, in South Korea, has been keeping its number one position since the beginning of the year with 1.2 million seats in March 2022. The rest of the domestic route top 10 all take place in the Asia Pacific or Middle East regions. In March, uh, in March's global top 10 busiest international airline routes, Dubai features in five of the top 10 routes, including London Heathrow. The London Heathrow to New York JFK route came in fourth with almost 175,000 seats in March. And in Europe's busiest international route, uh, London features five times, including the Dublin to Gatwick route at number 10. Uh, so whether Dubai will continue to be so highly ranked in the coming months remains to be seen as Dubai's northern runway will be closed between May the 9th and June the 22nd to carry out a complete renovation. Well, since, operate, uh, since opening in 1960, the airport's northern runway was first overhauled in 2014, whilst the southern runway underwent similar upgrades in 2019. As DXB's operations are scheduled to run on two runways, several flights will be directed to Dubai World Central Airport, which is their second airport, to limit the impact on service during the closure period. Uh, according to data obtained by uh, Aviation Line uh, through Sirium, uh, the airlines have scheduled their flights at Dubai World Central uh, during the period DXB would be closed. And these are Aeroflot, Ethiopian, Gulf, Indigo, Luxair, uh, Pobeda, uh, Smartwings and Ural uh, Airlines. Uh, Fly Dubai also announced that it will operate to 34 destinations from D uh, DWC out of the 90 in its current network during the period of the runway renovation project. It certainly seems, doesn't it, that uh, we are all black flying big time, but uh, the comparisons are going back, of course, to 2019 uh, rather than 2020 in some cases. And uh, it just goes to show you what a massive effect uh, all this has had on the business and how how long it takes to, to come back. And I, I don't think we'll see figures back to real 2019 levels and probably until the end of the year, I, I would have thought. Yeah, I just hope after seeing the reports on the news this week, Nev, with the, them saying that uh, the the cases have gone up quite drastically over the last few weeks, that I hope that nothing silly happens again um, with uh, restrictions and stuff, because everything is starting to kind of gradually get move along, aren't we? within the uh, aviation yes, industry. Yes, and more and more uh, countries are suspending 
all of their restrictions. I'm off to uh, Stockholm uh, in 10 days' time. And uh, from April the 1st, all of Sweden are lifting all of their restrictions, including the passenger locator form, um, proof of vaccination and all that stuff. I, I think people are having to concede that this ship has now sailed, really, and mm. we've just got to get on with it. Um, yeah. Unless there's, not, unless there's another big moment, moment or a variant that uh, has not hit yet. So, Matt, you've uh, got the uh, got the next story. All about short flights in France. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read this. Um, <laughs> so this one comes from Traveller.com, uh, Simple Flying, and SchengenVisaInfo.com with the title France to ban short flights in April 2022. So it says that travellers planning to hopscotch their way across Europe using continents cheap airfares may be in for a shock, with France becoming the first country to slash domestic flights in order to meet the European Union's ambitious carbon reduction targets. From April this year, the French government is banning short flights where train journeys of two and a half hours or less exist, which includes routes from Paris to popular destinations such as Bordeaux and Lyon. The French ban makes an exception for flights that connect to international flights, so a routing such as Lyon, Paris, Singapore, Sydney is still possible. However, the reduced number of domestic flights means that travellers will have to plan ahead. Other countries considering similar bans include Spain and some Scandinavian countries. Germany has already doubled the taxes on short-haul flights and is also exploring the idea, while in Austria, the national carrier has dropped its popular Vienna to Salzburg route. Passengers arriving in Vienna now have to transfer to a train service for the final leg to Salzburg. Environmental groups are demanding more action with Greenpeace EU agitating for a ban on flights where an alternative rail trip of less than six hours exists. However, the ban does not seem to be universally applicable to all qualifying flights in France. The Paris to Lyon flights will actually increase in frequency from five a day to six a day with the national carrier Air France. This is to keep Air France competitive on international routes and not have consumers fly through Amsterdam or London, for example. Now, we had a look through this, didn't we, earlier? It's extremely complicated. And what we gathered was internal domestic flights are banned apart from Air France. Does that sound like a fair assessment? Yeah. where they have a train replacement service. And we were trying to look at some of the routes that would be affected. So maybe Nice to Bordeaux, certain places like this. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how the public react to this. Nev, you're obviously a, a frequent passenger uh, zooming around. How how does this uh, sit with yourself, excluding your bias towards being an av geek, of course? Yes, I'm the sort of person I, I quite like having one form of transport from start to finish. Um, but uh, I think in the world of trains, planes and automobiles, as it were, you, you're always going to get variations, aren't you? I mean, I think that the problem is, is that um, in a country the size of France, for example, and it obviously the, the TGV, you know, the high speed rail network is extremely good. No, no two ways about it at all. Um, uh, what the cost of it is, 
I don't know. Uh, so it might be difficult to compare exactly the cost of a short haul flight compared to being on the train. Um, I think if they have the frequency of it and, and people, you know, are up for doing it, then I think that there's, there's some good possibilities there. But I've got to say, if you've just flown from the US to Paris, and you want to go to Lyon or somewhere like that. Um, yeah. Do you really, really want to do that on the train? Having just been, you know, eight or nine hours on an aircraft or longer, perhaps? I don't know. Um, difficult to say. But it will be interesting to see how this works and whether it works um, in, in a country such as France, because they've already got, you know, the good high speed rail network of course and not just within france but of course in, into neighboring countries as well mm. it's just interesting or or baffling that uh this is being brought in there's a ban yet one of the routes that seems to be most affected air france have got an increase of daily flights so um you could sort of understand it if they were a, if it was a real ban but i'm not really sure sure if it's going to have any effects um like you say they've got a good train network in in france it'll be interesting to see but certainly in the uk even when the trains are you're on a good line it's so expensive you know a cost of a of train okay it's not two and a half hours but you know say if you'd got the train up to edinburgh last week it would have probably cost you i wouldn't be surprised if it was 10 times if not five times more expensive oh you, you can pay a lot of money for, for the uh, london to edinburgh uh, routes on on the train certainly especially if you uh, have a short notice situation oh, blimey, which I, yeah. I, I quite often do in my job um I sometimes i don't know where i'm going from one day to the next but uh, many people would say that's not surprising um but <laughs> in general terms you know i don't have normally uh, a lot of notice about where i'm going to be next um but um yeah I, I think we need to keep an eye on this story because i think it could be interesting to track it and, and yeah. see where it ends up and what the cost of uh, doing those journeys i mean are. without sounding like a, a turkey voting for christmas i do <laughs> like the lack of hassle involved with going on a train it's a much more relaxing end-to-end -end journey uh without having to go through you know uh check in and then going through security and then checking your bags in the the only thing i would say to that is if you need hold luggage it's a real pain having suitcases i mean you couldn't get 150 people with two suitcases on a train no yeah so if you've got business commuters it probably works fine but 100 150 people that are families on a train i think it's not going to work no, indeed. Um, I, I think it, it depends on what part of the world you're in, really. But I, I think probably in a country like France, like France, with already the infrastructure, that's probably a good place to, to try this out. I, I would suggest, mm. especially as it's got you know good ongoing or you know neighbouring connections to the Netherlands and Belgium, uh, for mm. example. So. Trains tend to be more direct as well if you want to go city to city. So you can yeah. go direct from the centre of London to the centre of Manchester, whereas airports generally aren't in the cities, are they? So exactly. you could yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, trying to get some 
useful stuff out of the chat room, but it seems to be talking about uh, ship talking UK mainly. I think we've got uh, quite a lot of interest. No, no, there in is there is some new bits. bits. <laughs> there is some new bits. Uh, Rich, Richard Adams, uh, oh sorry, uh, Dirk S. I should say. Dirk S. says high speed rail network in France, Spain, etc. is great. Plus, you usually end up right in the city centre when taking a train, as you said earlier, Matt. Um, it's a bit more direct. Uh, Masha. Uh, is saying, uh, for such short routes, air travel seems more hassle than it's worth. Uh, train travel is so much more comfortable. Hmm, not our trains, not around here. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Warner, who actually works day to day on trains, says trains are rubbish uh, at the best <laughs> of times, and he's a railway man. Yeah. I think it depends which perspective you're coming from, because we're basing this French ban on UK rail services, I guess, aren't we? Mm. But so. we're not a train podcast. No. Other podcasts. Are we, are we are adding better. that? Are we? Yeah, we've, train, we've got, so we've got train talking nautical. UK, ship talking UK, <laughs> plane. There's a franchise opportunity here. That's true, isn't it? Yes. There's oh. some there's some great uh, chats about the um, ship talking UK. Um, Alan White said the news would be a bit slow. A boat left Hong Kong last month and will dock in New York in two months. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Eight episodes later, the arrival of the vessel is the main story. <laughs> oh, my word. I'll never live that day, will I? Why did I mention the brig? Hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guys. Yeah. You know why pirates are called pirates, don't you? Go on. Because they are. Oh dear! <laughs> and on that bombshell, um, <laughs> Neil, Neil Landwall says Neil Landwall says he would watch Ship Talking UK. It would be one hull of a show. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> oh. uh, at, this, at this rate, uh, John will have to e edit the uh, show um, picture title picture. Anyway, moving swiftly on to the next story, which doesn't involve boats at all. Uh, it goes back to aviation, which is always good. Uh, this is coming to us from airporttechnology.com. Uh, Alaska Airlines, this is uh, turning more 737-800s into freighters. Uh, so Alaska Airlines um, is turning two of its midlife Midlife Boeing 737-800s into cargo planes. Uh, a bet that the pandemic boom in air freight will continue to generate revenue uh, even after more passengers return to travel. The Seattle-based airline, the country's fifth largest, already has three smaller 737-700s dedicated solely to air freight. Cargo analyst Stephen Fortune said the conversion of a passenger jet into a freighter, which entails ripping out the... I don't know if they rip the seats out, they remove the seats, and overhead bins reinforcing the aircraft's floor and cutting a cargo door for easier loading can cost around $5 million. Cheap at half the price, I'd say. Uh, Alaska Airlines as well. Another story this is uh, about the airline. Uh, it's all about double pay for flight attendants. Alaska Airlines apparently is offering flight attendants double pay to pick up extra trips this spring in hopes of avoid staffing shortfalls ahead of an even bigger jump in travel demand for the coming months. Airlines rolled out incentives such as bonuses and triple pay to pilots and flight attendants uh, late last year to stem staffing shortfalls during the busy year and holidays. The incentive kicks in when the flight attendants work more than 100 trips per day 
100 trips per day, per, oh, per pay in a month, uh, which is generally calculated based on trip length. God, he worked for Ryanair. Uh, like many other airlines, he said, we are facing general staffing challenges, Alaska said in a statement. In response to this, we're offering flight attendants pay incentives to fill in gaps for staffing shortages uh, periods at this time in spring. The airline has recently hired and trained 165 new flight attendants and plans to bring in 700 more on board this June. It had more than 5,500 flight attendants as of the end of 2021. And another story as well, Alaska Airlines. God, they are busy this month, aren't they? Uh, Alaska Airlines establishes technology incubator at san jose international airport so alaska airlines has forged a partnership with san jose international airport or sjc to establish a technology incubator Uh, the incubator will be used to test new technologies for their ability to improve the travel experience the airline company's team will look to augment numerous aspects of travel from lobby design to biometric boarding the company also said that it's currently testing a new check-in and self-bag drop system at the airport in a bid to streamline the check-in process and minimize the time required for passengers to drop off baggage the airline company also noted that they have set up tabletops featuring Apple iMac Pros, oh dear, which can be used to quickly scan passengers or throw in the bin. I mean, boarding passes and print bags, tags, allowing travellers to self-tag their bags. Alaska Airlines has also implemented biometric technology at SJC to expedite the boarding process for international passengers. Wow, they have been a busy airline, haven't they, Alaska? Yes, I've used to fly them uh, a few times uh, from Seattle to Portland uh, because there was no direct BA flight to uh, Portland, Oregon, but uh, there is now. So I won't be doing as much as that, but uh, no, interesting that that they're uh, uh, doing a lot of work on the uh, conversions uh, for the uh, 737-800s and also um, uh, generally getting more traffic back into the air and... uh, yeah, looks uh, looks promising, doesn't it? Hmm. So, Nev, staying with you, and uh, last story for this week, and it's uh, about the 225. Yes, on uh, simpleflying.com is one of the websites this is from. Uh, the Antonov company, through its social networks and websites, proposed to open several bank accounts to finance the construction of a new AN-225, as the only aircraft of the type was destroyed at Hostomol uh, Airport during the Ukrainian-Russian militia clashes. Uh, the manufacturer considers it necessary to start working on the revival of the AN-225 to prevent the irreversible loss of the legendary aircraft. Although all structural, scientific and technical doc- uh, documentation for the construction exists, the manufacturer claims that due to its the current situation in Ukraine, it is complex to obtain the necessary funds for its construction. Uh, Antonov Company CEO Sergei Birchkov uh, proposed to establish an international fund for the revival of the aircraft. In addition, he appealed to the proposal uh, for financial support for the project to the following entities, heads of states and governments all, of all countries of the world, world aircraft production companies, foreign companies and partners who participated in the creation of other Antonov aircraft, management of banks and other financial institutions of the world, aviation fans and enthusiasts, uh, and the entire world aviation community, including uh, non-governmental organisations. 
organizations, uh, NGOs, and uh, everyone who admired the greatness of the Ukrainian AN-225. Well, that's that's quite, quite that covers most people actually in the world, doesn't it? Uh, but um, interesting enough, uh, some bit of news on why the the AN two two five wasn't moved. Um, Antonov's quest to rebuild the AN two two five has plenty of supporters online, and others question why Antonov didn't get it and more planes out of Ukraine in the days leading up to the invasion. Antonov says that they began devising plans to do so in late 2021. In mid-February, taking into consideration unfavourable development of actions on the part of Russia and Belarus, work in preparation for the relocation was intensified, uh, Antonov says on Facebook. Uh, AN-26, AN-74 and an uh, AN-225 aircraft were prepared and loaded. The AN-225 was under necessary scheduled maintenance and had an incomplete set of engines. In the evening of February the 23rd, the sixth engine was mounted onto the AN-225, so in the morning of February the 24th, everyone could fly to Leipzig. But overnight, Ukraine closed its airspace to civil flights, effectively grounding the remaining Antonov planes still in Ukraine. An unlucky, an unlucky quirk of timing had the sixth engine gone onto the AN-225 24 hours earlier, the big jet could have left Ukraine in time and remained intact. Mm. Gosh. Well, I hope we see it flying again. I really do. It's an incredible aircraft, isn't it? I've got um, quite a good story about the um, the Antonov 225. Mm. I was flying up, I think it was in, I was going into Copenhagen or somewhere up, up that way. And there was another aircraft that had a medical emergency aboard and they requested... Um, an expedited approach rather than a full emergency. And uh, they said, oh, apologies, um, we'll have to put you in behind the Antonov. It's coming in having had an engine failure. And someone else on the radio said, oh, yes, the dreaded five-engine approach. (laughs) (laughs) Which I quite liked. I wonder what the wake turbulence category is of that aircraft. (laughs) Yeah. Heavy. I think would be that, yeah. I wonder what the difference between that, actually, Nev, now you've said that, difference between the, the 225 and the uh, 380. Hmm. Similar, I would have thought. Hmm. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, but so, no, what a fantastic aircraft, isn't it? Yeah. I remember as a child, actually, back before, like September the 11th and everything, uh, Stansted used to do these sort of airside tours that they did for groups and things. And we went there and the 225 was there and we, they took us around in a minibus and we drove right past it. It was just amazing seeing, it didn't even seem real that it had so many wheels, you know, for eight, I was about eight or 10 or something. When we went past. That was one of my early memories of aviation, really. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. But- yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Weight, weight class super. Oh, so it's the same as yeah. A380 then, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, Guys and girls, the best part of the show for some, apart from Nev, of course, coming up next. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks, uh, thanks everyone. Good stories as always this week. And uh, well, there's lots of things to keep an eye on in the news over the next coming few uh, few weeks. Definitely with some of these stories we've covered this week. So, but uh, is everyone ready to uh, to soldier on with the military news? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Blast up buggies 13550, angels 16. 
Take a second to talk about this U.S. Marine Corps MV-22 Osprey that crashed in Norway last week. Um, four Marines lost their lives in this crash in uh, in Norway. Uh, according to the uh, Norwegian police in Nordland County, they confirmed that, that they had found the crew and uh, the Marines were assigned to the 2nd Marine Air Wing. They were in Norway this past uh, couple weeks participating in an exercise called Cold Response 2022. Um, this big exercise that uh, has a lot of participants from a lot of different countries. I've actually participated in it before I've been up to Norway. Um, uh, I was based in Evanes on the Osprey when we were flying this. But by all accounts, this uh, happened at 6.30 p.m. local time on uh, in, in Norway. And the air crew was uh, flying... Potentially low-level flight, low-level training flight. There was just in the evening, and the weather in Norway can be incredibly volatile and changes very quickly. At some points, there were some weather reports from the area of Bodo that had winds up to 52 miles per hour, which in itself is not uh, terrible. But combined with the terrain, the low level that they were flying in, the low visibility conditions, the Osprey has a, a train following system, so it's very capable. But sometimes it's just a culmination of those those factors that result in an aircraft um, that is already flying low. It's flying fast, uh, potentially um, going into um, having a mishap and, and having a controlled flight into terrain. Now, we don't know yet. We won't know for a while the circumstances behind this crash. Could have been a mecha mechanical failure. Could have been human error. Could have been the weather related. Um, we we probably won't find out until um, you know a preliminary report and then a final report, m most likely a year or two from now. Um, I, I just wanted to take a moment to to read out a message from Major General Michael Cedarholm. He's the commanding general of the Second Marine Aircraft Wing. He put out in a statement. He said, uh, tonight, with an extremely heavy heart, I share the loss of four Marines from America's aircraft wing, which were involved tragically in the MV-22 Osprey accident while conducting a training flight in Norway during Exercise Cold Response 22. The pilots and crew members of Ghost 3-1 were committed to the Raging Bulls, our Marine Corps, they're accomplishing their mission and calling to serve something greater than themselves. These Marines were simply doing what they love to do, and we must, we will keep these warriors and their selfless example of service in the forefront of our minds. To the families of our fellow Marines lost in this tragedy, we send our deepest condolences, and we keep you foremost in our thoughts and prayers. We will always remain focused on ensuring that you remain supported during this incredibly difficult time. We mourn the loss of our four brothers who dedicated their lives to our nation and are deeply saddened by their loss. Uh, so in a manner, just like the crew of Ghost 3-1 would do, we honor them by taking to the skies again with the, with their memory in our hearts, with nerves of steel and ready to answer our great nation's call. I just wanted to, to mention their, their names, Captain 
Matthew Tom Kiewitz, he was uh, the pilot of the Osprey, been in the Air Force or in the Marine Corps since 2015. Captain Ross Reynolds was uh, in the Marine Corps since 2017 was the other Osprey pilot. Um, they had Gunnery Sergeant James Speedy, which who was a administrative assistant assigned with the squadron. Um, he had been in the Air, in the uh, Marine Corps since 2009, and Corporal Jacob Moore was the Osprey's crew chief. He had been in the Marine Corps since 2018. So, like I said, we it'll be a while since we, or until we find out exactly what happened here. But uh, at the end of the day, any loss in the commercial community uh, usually affects our community, our aviation community, our podcast community. Um, military losses are are very personal to those that were in the military and those that support the military. Um, but this one was a little bit close to home, uh, being an Osprey in the same uh, area that I've uh, operated the Osprey in. So, again, thanks for uh, letting me take the time to send this in, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sad news indeed. It's um, especially, I think, for Armando, especially because it's probably you know it's an it's an aircraft that Armando used to obviously fly as well. Um, and it's yeah, it is very sad news indeed when you hear about things like this happen. But um, obviously, um, hopefully, they'll get to the bottom of what caused the actual. Yeah, incident. And itself. actually, you've got to remember with, with all these things, you know, the, the crews hey guys, are very close. Uh, sorry, I can't be on the show today. Community, but I aren't they? To and, um, you know, everybody knows each US other. Marine so Corps. it's, um, yeah, it it's, must be very, very. Uh, Ram very 22 Osprey, that. Oh. Do you know what happened there? But well, we are going to move on to the next story, though. And uh, this next story comes to us from the drive.com. And. This is all about the Marines to test lightning carrier concept with 20 F-35Bs aboard the USS Tripoli. And this is happening in April. So early this coming April, United States Marine Corps F-35Bs from three squadrons will cover, uh, will converge aboard the USS Tripoli, a ship much smaller than a traditional aircraft carrier to test and fully the test the lightning carrier concept. The idea is to basically turn the amphibious assault ships into light aircraft carriers packed with F-35Bs, first emerged um, five years ago, but it has its roots in uh, AV-8 Harrier operations going back decades. 20 F-35Bs will be conducting sustained operations, followed by surge operations uh, from the USS Tripoli. The event will test the ability of the Marines to operate two F-35B squadrons, one from a ship at one time, and could have major impacts on what the stealthy jets and the ships they deploy on can bring to the fight in the future. The squadrons that make up the 20-jet contingent include the Yuma-based Marine Operational Test and Evaluation Squadron 1, Marine Fighter Attack Squadron 211 and 225 Squadron, the test squadron has recently uh, been operating from the USS Tripoli doing testing on spot nine at the rear end of the ship's deck in order to make it a second unaided night landing spot for the F-35B. 
Uh, this could prove crucial to the upcoming Lightning Carrier Trials. 211 Squadron has just recently returned from the historic maiden seven-month deployment on board HMS Queen Elizabeth, uh, where they brought 10 of their jets to fly alongside the dam busters of the Royal Air Force's 617 Squadron. The upcoming at-sea period will see the largest number of F-35s ever put to sea, eclipsing the 18 operated from HMS Queen Elizabeth. Spokesperson Colonel Benjamin Hutchins said, With the F-35B, we have the ability to fly from the ship and operate from small airfields airfields, and then rapidly displace from a manoeuvre perspective and so that it's its strength we can take the Bravo almost anywhere and if we have the logistics and weapons then we can run that airplane until it needs maintenance and we can swap out the pilots as required he also said we currently are testing the, the ability to operate the F-35Bs from narrow roads getting the width of the roads down to in the 30s of feet from the current 70. It's hard for the enemy to target every road in the Pacific. It's definitely an aircraft I'd love to see travelling down the road here. It would definitely struggle to get down the roads uh, where our studio is here at uh, uh, Yes, Matt's a bit, house. bit narrow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Nev, uh, moving from the F-35 to the F-22 for this next yes, story. Yes, it's on the uh, nwfdailynews.com. Uh, it says that an F, uh, F-22 Raptor from the 325th Fighter Wing experienced a mishap on landing at Eglin Air Force Base shortly before 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, according to a brief announcement released from the base's public affairs office shortly before 1 p.m. No details were immediately available except that emergency crews responded to the scene and the pilot was transported to flight medicine for an evaluation. Uh, early Tuesday evening, the base public affairs office announced an email that the pilot involved in the F-22 mishap was in good condition and was released from the 96th medical group. Emergency crews remained on the scene into the afternoon of the hours of Tuesday and uh, runway 19 at the base was closed, although flight operations could continue on the installation's remaining runway. Almost exactly a year ago, on March the 15th, 2021, there was a similar, uh, similar incident at Eglin when an F-22 assigned to the 325th Fighter Wing experienced what appeared to be a nose gear failure upon landing at the base. Eglin officials described the incident as a ground mishap connected to an in-flight emergency. The most serious incident involving an F-22 from the 325th Flight fighter wing flying out of Eglin came on the morning of May the 15th 2020 when a jet crashed into a wooded area of the installation about 12 miles northeast of the main section of the base the crash Raptor which went down after the pilot began having difficulty controlling the jet was part of an air combat training exercise involving two other F-22s six F-35 fighter jets four F-16 fighter jets and one T-38 training aircraft well the main thing is that the gentleman the crew is okay that's the main thing isn't it i really like the um use of the word mishap i think that's fantastic yes it covers uh, many uh, many things doesn't it yes it's a very without going into any detail what gentlemanly way of uh, of explaining away an accident there's not yes. an incident maybe it's uh, i don't know whether it's going to be uh, Tea and biscuits in the... Uh, or tea no biscuits. Tea no biscuits, Tea no yeah. biscuits. Mishap, maybe they get biscuits from Well, mishap, maybe they do. Maybe they do, yeah. 
anyway, he's okay. That is the main thing. That, that is, is the main, main thing. thing. So, Matt, you've got uh, the last one all about this F-16 crash in Louisiana. Yes. Um, didn't I was doing great stuff, so you better send another check. Um, so it says Oklahoma Air National Guard F-16 crashes in Louisiana. This comes also from the drive. Uh, Louisiana State Police have confirmed that an F-16 fighter jet crashed earlier on March the 23rd in a wooded area south of Beauregard Parish in Louisiana. The location is roughly 50 miles south of the U.S. Army's uh, Fort Polk, and the incident occurred around 11.15 a.m. local time. The pilot, who has yet to be identified, was able to eject safely from the aircraft before the crash and made it out with no major injuries. The F-16 was one of the Oklahoma Air National Guard's Block 42 models flown by the 125th Fighter Squadron, the Tulsa Vipers. Again, nice to uh, good to hear that the pilot got away safely on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been an expensive time for the uh, US Air Force, hasn't it? Yes, keeping the maintenance crews busy, I would yeah. say. Yes, very much so, very much so. So uh, that uh, yeah. that's the last uh, military story as uh, Nev breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> Plenty uh, of chat going on in the chat room though, at the moment. Jonathan Warner's obviously kicking off because we're talking about F-35s and F-22s. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Alan White says Boeing will launch the F-35s into the Potomac River with a bottle of champagne soon. I suppose that'd be one <laughs> uh, way of sending them off. But uh, yes, and uh, bringing the military news to a close. Uh, now, you may have noticed that we've missed um, this week the uh, Caption This competition. Now, that's my fault because I've been rather busy this week. Um <laughs> slightly busy this week another nearly 50 hour week um and i didn't get a chance to do it on wednesday but it will be back next wednesday i've set a reminder on my phone to remind me um because i honestly i was expecting nev to, to whatsapp me remind me this week but uh, nev you forgot didn't you sorry yeah <laughs> he has to have his phone off in 1a so um unfortunately he wasn't able to send it absolutely yeah so we are going to start to wrap up the show, but I thought uh, with that we'd have you know we'd have a quick catch up with you. You know, I know we uh, we said at the start of the show what you've been up to uh, to see uh, what's uh, what you've been what been up to. Uh, Nev, obviously we did say it last week on the show, but uh, just to refresh the memories uh, of everyone in case you missed it last week, me and Nev are heading off uh, to to a, a different air show that we haven't been to before. Uh, definitely, not, we've not been to. I've been never been to it since I started this show. Uh, but uh, where are we off to, Nev? We're off to <clears throat> Jersey in the Channel Islands, uh, and that'll be at the start of September. Uh, 8th, actually on the 9th, isn't it? September, I believe. Um, so looking forward to that very much indeed. Um, we're just waiting for some press information to come out of the organisers and we'll be there with the cameras, the fluffy mic and uh, doing interviews. Hopefully get some airside action going on as well with some of the crews. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that very much indeed. So uh, yeah, that'll be a, a good thing for us to uh, to be doing, won't it? Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, actually, Matt, with having you on the show, just a, just a quick sort of uh, catch up with you. Um, are, are things um, starting to get busy, busier with uh, with the airline you work for, with stuff? Is, is are things starting to get back to a kind of moderately busy kind of um, routine? 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, pretty much as I think I mentioned when we came, when I came on last time, it seems to be very dependent on the country we're flying to. So if a country has restrictions, you tend to find that the passenger load is much lower. But if there's, if you're flying somewhere with little or no restrictions, then they're full flights. So it appears that uh, the appetite is there, but people still either can't be bothered with the confusion or the the stress or the expense of testing or whatever it is so it does seem to be quite uh, strongly correlated between the two Um, but yeah things are getting busy Um, some of the A320 lounge stuff is busy we've started doing where um, airlines are actually recruiting and also um, upgrading people for command at the moment we've been doing some command preparation courses uh, so that's been good. Done one of these this week, and we had someone go through to their command, and they passed their interview, having done our course. So that was always good news to right. hear. So, mm. so yeah, that's really good. It, it was pretty stressful because uh, the simulator, because they wanted to practice in the simulator before their simulator interview, and the simulator broke down. They booked four hours, and they managed to get about an hour and a half of. Um, useful flying time out of it uh, but luckily uh, they said that that time was still useful enough for them so yes pretty annoying when you book something and then something breaks that's out of your control and you're trying to sort it out remotely but uh, yeah we got there in the end and they passed so that's always a, a good feeling when something like that happens you know if you ever have any kind of sim time and you need someone to fill that space uh, Matt you know just just give me a call um, sure no worries yeah, anytime. I'll, I'll I'll jump at the go. Unlike Nev, because I know Nev, you you've had the chance to to uh, have a go on a on a three twenty sim, haven't you, Nev? I have, yes, mm. and I with some with fantastic me. instruction from Matt <laughs> and Andy uh, managed to do a uh, uh, single engine, well, engine fail on takeoff, single engine approach and landing. Um, but a lot lots of coaching. Uh, from the pair of them and from John who was in the left hand seat as well actually but that was a really really interesting piece of thing to do and I mean obviously I'm not dealing with comms or you know RT or engine power settings or anything like that that was hard work no no two ways about it and I could see I could very well see why you can get task saturated when you're concentrating so hard just on one particular thing and then other people start throwing other things at you that that's that must be pretty tough i must say yeah it was good fun that day wasn't it, it was. but yeah carlos anytime you're welcome to come in just remember if you need to pull up don't pull on the tray table <laughs> yeah <laughs> no honestly genuinely though matt i i would love if 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 i got ever had the chance if you do get a spare you know uh slot i i would genuinely love to come and you know have a have a try with a with a 320 sim i just want to i just want to experience what it'd be like to fly a, a side stick you know sure aircraft. anytime um anytime yeah that would be absolutely awesome thank you um, we'll sort it out we'll film it and you can we can do a bit on here as well we'll, so we'll, fi- no, we'll film it yeah exactly film an approach somewhere we have um, actually during the show had a picture sent in from John Jester, uh, a view from Hong Kong. Uh, he said he's been listening from Incheon, I think, today. I think that's how you pronounce mm. that. Yeah. And uh, here's the picture that John has sent in. John Jester has sent in uh, from his view from the flight deck. Obviously, a glorious view there uh, from that flight deck. It looks, I must say, those engines look very clean. 
and there's a bit of fluid on the on the deck as well, isn't there? So that's I hope that's not from. Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's where hydraulic leak from somewhere. That's where where John John uh, dropped his flask of hot coffee. Oh, right. Whilst yes. he was doing his walk round. Obviously, yeah. yeah, definitely. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for sending that in, John. It's always good yes, to uh, to yeah, send uh, send the pictures in. We en- we enjoy things like that on the show. Um, so I suppose you better start to uh, to wrap up uh, the show for this week. Nev, uh, do you want to do the social media things? Yeah, I will. Yes, uh, and uh, don't forget if you want to contact us on social media, just look for us on Plain Talking UK on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can contact the studio by sending a WhatsApp to plus 44757 That's plus 44757 Our email address at the studio is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And our website is all the W's, plaintalkinguk.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. You'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us live in the chat room just go to youtube.com search and search for plain talking uk and you'll find us there if you do your shopping on amazon you, there's a link on our website we get paid a small referral fee so you can actually go through the website to do your amazon shopping uh, if you would like to become a patreon of the show you can do that as well and you'll find that at our website all the w's plain talking uk com and uh, if you want to get in touch with matt from the a320 lounge matt how would they do that certainly so uh, social media we are um, at a320 lounge on instagram at a320 podcast over on uh, twitter and facebook uh, you can email us info at a320 podcast.com we also have for those of you interested in the 737 carlos we do uh, all the same at uh, 737 podcast uh on facebook twitter and also over on instagram so yeah follow us on there and uh fridays we put a little joke up so it's always worth having a look for that yeah even if you're not interested in the technical stuff in all honesty matt i do subscribe to the 737 podcast and for those listening who who like me have your home sims your your x-plane sims or whatever your microsoft flight sims it honestly does help what you guys talk about i know you you know it's uh you know more to do with the day-to-day of the actual real aircraft and flying the real but it does apply to um to, to you know to what we do in in this in the home sim as well so yeah thanks for that uh, matt i appreciate that no worries. Yeah, br- keep bringing out more episodes. Wait for some, for some more. Sure. Get, get some out next week. <laughs> Will do. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really, yeah. uh, really appreciate it. And as always, have great fun on here. So yeah, whenever you need me back, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, nice. We'll 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 go with a nautical theme next time again. Matt. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is uh, where we're going to bring. Uh, episode 404 to a close of the plain talking uk podcast going to say a massive thanks to everyone who's joined us in the live youtube chat room this evening all the family members in there massive thanks to you for all joining us this evening and taking time out of your friday evening and also a big thanks to all our audio listeners who download the show each week as an audio podcast thank you very much to you all indeed as well and don't forget if you do download through itunes stitcher podbean any of those um, 
podcast uh, players. Uh, if you get a spare five seconds, just we could just write us a little review on there. That would be fantastic, especially on iTunes. That five-star review does obviously help uh, to uh, push the show forward in the rankings. And uh, actually, Nev, we we had we, well, we we were quite uh, happy with our rankings, weren't we? Um, uh, over the last uh, kind of month on the uh, chartable podcast charts for the UK. Yes, we we did very well, didn't we? Um, and uh, don't like to boast too much, but uh, we we were right up there, weren't we? And uh, I'm very pleased. I'm hoping as well that we'll continue that way, especially as we uh, come to bring you more content from air shows, interviews and other stuff as well. So yeah. Uh, absolutely uh, delighted that we managed to get to as far as we did yes yes we were very very pleased with that so big thanks to all our listeners because it's you guys and girls who help uh, put us where we are each week so thank you for downloading the show so that's it then guys and girls have a fantastic weekend uh, whatever you're doing and uh, the weather's going to be nice so hopefully it will uh, be sunny this weekend so keep those cameras ready for stuff flying over so from me carlos here in the ptuk master suite studio in matt's chair and from nev across in his glorious buckinghamshire studios and from matt in his glorious airbus studio take care everyone have a great weekend and see you next friday say goodbye everyone see you bye Bye. Bye.